Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Veg Grower Podcast. My name is Richard and I am on a mission to grow all my fruit, vegetables and herbs in my allotment and garden. This week we have a very special guest joining us, Charles Dowling, author of the new kids book about no dig gardening and we will be chatting with Charles about his book and getting his expert tips and advice for growing a successful garden. I really cannot wait to share this chat with you but first of all let's find out what's been happening down on the allotment. Good morning and welcome to the allotment. It's a beautiful Saturday February the 11th and I'm so happy that I'm down on the allotment. I've been down here for a few hours now and I feel like I'm actually accomplishing quite a bit of work. First up, my corrugated iron garden beds. I have three of these. One has got onions growing in it, which is a hugel culture bed, and the other has garlic growing in it. But the middle one had my Brussels sprouts and purple sprouting broccoli. It was brassicas from last year. This middle bed was slightly smaller than the other two. And I managed to bring down some more corrugated iron, which I've added to that bed to make it the same size as the other two. This has obviously given me a couple of extra pieces of corrugated iron that I'm going to use at a future project but most importantly this bed is now just a slight bit bigger it matches the other two beds as I said which just makes me feel and happier that the beds are of a similar size I just feel all the beds should be of the same size it makes it easier for me to keep things organized and tidy and aesthetically I feel it looks a lot better Now I mentioned that this bed was growing Brussels sprouts and they were still growing in this bed but I harvested today the last of my Brussels sprouts. I've been really happy with my Brussels sprouts this last year. We grew them for Christmas of course, we've been eating them ever since and I grew quite a few Brussels sprout trees and yeah I'm really enjoying cooking with them but they have come to the end of their season now and until next December we're not going to get any more Brussels sprouts. Now next to these three corrugated iron beds I have the three wooden beds which are going to be for brassicas this year as you know. Last week I added some lime to these beds so today what I decided to do is to cover the beds with some black membrane. Now this black membrane was used in the paths around all the beds but I've decided I'm going to let the paths go back to grass. Reason being is that I use the grass a lot for mulching and creating compost and I quite enjoy mowing the lawn and I quite enjoy having grass paths. So I've gone back to turning those into paths. I think we have really seemed to have got on top of the cooch grass on that half now. I did find that covering the beds over for a year with the black membrane did seem to kill off any of the cooch grass. And now the beds are just going to be covered over with this black membrane basically because, well, I could have used cardboard which is what I would normally use, but I didn't want to throw away all this black membrane. It's still useful, it still can be used, so I've just used it to cover the beds, along with the potato beds that we did last week, or a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? I can't remember now. But along with those, they're just going to cover those beds, just give me a little bit less weeding to do in the meantime. 
Now added to that, I've also been adding more glass to the newer greenhouse that I've got. As you know, last year I inherited a second greenhouse from one of my granddads and it came with quite a bit of glass, but some of it obviously smashed on transportation and dismantling. Well, the rest of the glass I have managed now to get into place and I would say it's probably about half covered in glass. So now I think I've run out of the glass that I have to hand. These panels are a bit of an odd size. Usually greenhouse glass is like two foot by two foot or 60 centimetres by 60 centimetres. Some of these panels are 73 centimetres by 68. Some are 62 by 62 and others are 58 by 42 or something. Very mixed size glass panels that I'm having to sort of figure out what goes where but I'm also having to determine what panels I'm going to have to buy in and, and get cut to sized. I did figure on perhaps instead of just having two panels to make up a wall I might get a one panel entirely made up to be that entire wall. I can't wait to really get this greenhouse up and running in all honesty it's going to be such fun just using this greenhouse to grow this going to be cucumbers this year under glass and on the allotment. Now, that's what I've been up to today on the allotment, and I'm looking forward to really getting on and growing this year on the allotment. But of course, as you know, I am a no digger, and I practice no dig on my allotment as well as at home. But there is one person who is considered the guru of no dig gun, and that is, of course, Charles Dowding. And he is our very special guest on this week's episode. Well, I'm joined today with Charles Dowding. And I guess the best way to introduce yourself, Charles, for those that don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? I'm a gardener. I practice no dig. I'm an organic market gardener for over 40 years now. And I've always practiced no dig. In different forms and fashions, I'm working it out all the time. My tenet is to disturb the soil as little as possible and to feed the soil life with organic matter on the surface, and that that is no dig for me. And I also write books and make videos on YouTube, and um, I'm on Instagram. Do a lot of social media because I really want to share the, the benefits of what I'm learning with the world. Fantastic. Now, for those that may have never heard of no dig, even though I talk about it all the time. What is no dig in its principle or its foundations? Well, the idea is that the soil is a it's a living entity, and it's not just a collection of nutrients. And uh, you know, the way I was taught it when I was uh, going to lectures in the nineteen eighties, they would say things like the soil is like a bank balance, nutrients in, nutrients out, and it was kind of seen as a, a like hydroponics almost. But we now know that there's a lot of life in soil, and that when you respect it it helps you to grow great plants and the plants are healthier and it's a lot easier you save time you don't get so many weeds because soil when it's not disturbed doesn't grow so many weeds so it's the essence of no dig is to leave the soil undisturbed as much as possible you're still allowed to plant a tree <laughs> or dig out a parsnip you know whatever it might be and um, feed the soil life because they're so busy working for us so that's where in my case i use compost mainly because i find yeah, there's other soil matter, organic matter you can put on top, like hay or straw, 
or bark, but they tend to encourage slugs. So that's maybe more appropriate for uh, borders and around trees and that kind of thing. But for vegetables, compost works best. Yeah, no dig is the way. It's just simply laying the compost on top of the soil and letting the worms do the work. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I mean, it is so simple. I think sometimes almost people look for complication. They think, can it be that easy? And that, Well, yes, it is actually. <laughs> it can be if you're starting with a lot of weeds and how you get rid of the weeds without clearing them, but smothering, and I recommend using either cardboard or black plastic just as a one-off for a few months or the cardboard decomposes itself actually but that's just the initial phase and you don't need to repeat that afterwards it's funny you say it's so simple when i first started gardening 10 years old 30 years ago now we did this experiment at school where we filled a sweetie jar it's probably not appropriate to do this day and age but we did filled a sweetie jar with some soil from the school field and then put some leaves on top. And over the next few weeks, we watched as the worms just pulled those leaves down into the soil. That's a brilliant thing to do. Yeah, it's probably not fair on the worms this day and age, granted. But <laughs> it, to me, as a, a 10-year-old, it, it well, I went away uh, first year of my vegetable patch, and I did that with my, my vegetable patch. Mm. Then my granddad came along and said, no, you need to do all this manure and compost into it. And I challenged him as to why. Yeah. And he couldn't give me a definitive answer as to why. Oh, that's really good, Richard. Yeah, you, that's exactly it. If I'm always asked, say, you know, so what's no digging? How does it work? Why do you do it? I, I, I feel more like I should be asking everyone else, why are you digging? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And this is always a, it's a story I often share as to how I first came up with No Dig. I didn't know about No Dig at the time. It's just what I did at the very, very beginning. Now, when I was, because you're actually here to talk about your No Digs Children Gardening book. And I reminded myself of that story as soon as I heard about this book. I've been lucky enough to be sent a copy, which I've been reading through over this last week, and I'm thoroughly thoroughly enjoying it and i highly recommend anybody listening if they've got kids grandkids nieces nephews who are interested in gardening to go and get it but what inspired you to write this book <laughs> well the publishers to be honest <laughs> <laughs> good answer <laughs> you know, I, i'm just so busy and, and i'd i'd already written actually three books in the previous 18 months and i didn't think of writing anymore and then i got but it was such an appealing idea and thought and and Welbeck Publishing they offered a lot of support which they've given they've really helped out and and also they introduced me to a brilliant illustrator you probably noticed the illustrations are out of this world she's she's right on it and and makes the book come alive so nicely so the combination of the simplicity of no dig which you can't explain actually in not many words so you know it's not a wordy book that that I think is good for kids as well and the ideas are simple and straightforward and I've noticed when teaching too, I teach groups of people here and, and give talks and it's the younger people who get it more quickly, no dig, uh, because the older people have stuff to unlearn, uh, you know, which is fair enough. <laughs> but mm -hmm. the kids, especially coming in fresh because no dig is, it, it makes sense, you know, it's common sense, it works with nature, what, what's not, it's both not to like and what's not to understand almost, you know, because it just, just makes sense. So yeah, I, I, I leapt at it then and thought, right, I'll, I'll do this and it's, it's been fascinating for me, actually, because it's brought me into contact with a lot of other people also doing similar things. And there is a lot going on, I, I now realise. It. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Uh, one of the things that I really liked about your book, and I find this with a lot of kids' books, is they always mention growing radishes, and I've not noticed that in your book. And I've, I, it always annoys me because I do not know a single child that eats radishes. Oh, well, they might like the look of them. <laughs> no, I'm with you on that. I, I do know what you mean. Um, I'll tell, I know the reasons, and it's for two, actually. One is often we start in the spring. And it, it is a spring vegetable. It's best sown February, March, and certainly no later than the middle of April, I would say. Otherwise, they get too hot and they get cabbage root flies in there. So don't sow them in the summer. It'd be my recommendation. But yeah, you're right. Kids don't particularly like radish. Although they like looking at them and they like the speed of growth. So, you know, those two things, I think, mitigated. I mean, yeah, it's got to be peas, hasn't it? Or something like that. that takes a bit peas, pumpkins. Yeah, definitely. I've noticed those two are in your book. So reading through the book, I've noticed you've got a few almost like case studies of schools that are implementing mm. no dig, such as a no dig sensory garden. And uh, yeah. are these schools that you've been involved in or contacted you? Uh, they've I've met them or come across them because they it's people who've been on courses here, actually. And they start telling me about what they're up to. And there's one particular that's amazing. It's called The Green Room in Surrey. Actually, the guy who's featured in the books, Joe Spark, he's a really motivating guy and has helped a lot of people. But I think he's moving on from that project now. But I met it through him. And, and what he said, he, he, it's a preschool, so that's pupil referral unit. And the kids who are good, you know, don't fit in with a conventional system. You know, it's not their fault. I think it's just how the system is and not designed for everybody. Anyway, so they come to his school and they're not in a good mood often, he says, you know, that's because they haven't met much welcome in life, perhaps. And he, he said he sits them down in front of my videos, actually, my YouTube videos. And he said they, they immediately calm down. And, and it seems that they can really relate to me, maybe because I'm an older person. Um, you know, he's tried it with our different YouTubers, like the younger ones, it didn't work quite as well. And I think I've got a, quite a calming presence, so that, that helps, comes across in the videos. And, and anyway, so then they get into uh, growing vegetables, no dig, and he, he set up a small market garden in, on, in the school, or even three premises in Surrey, and, and they, he motivates them by um, seeing how much vegetable they can sell and raise some money for a project they run in Africa as well, in Ghana. So, you know, that's just a nice example of, 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 of gardening, uh, especially no dig, because the kids can really get into it. It makes life easy. It takes out the drudgery of all that weeding and, and the results it's been having, which are fantastic. Yeah, I remember, I think it was last year or the year before, I interviewed a guy who had a community garden in Crawley in West Sussex, and he had been on a, one of your courses and came away and built this community garden on the back of your course. Oh, that's nice. It's absolutely fascinating how quite a simple premise that you've made your name, i.e. no dig gardening, has gone on to inspire a lot of people to go into gardening. Yeah, but I think I'm, I must say that in my case, it's I'm known for no dig, and, that, and that's great. Uh, but I've also got incredible knowledge about growing vegetables, and that really helps in my teaching because I can then help people to be successful. Because there's a lot of wrong information, for want of a better word, out there about like you know the sowing dates of certain vegetables and how to look after them and and that kind of thing. And and people can follow that what they think is correct information and, and then have a failure. And that's nothing is more off-putting really. So. I'm pretty sure that with the, the you know the whole range of advice I'm giving that most people are having consistent success and that and that breeds more success and more willingness to carry on. Yeah, I, f I find that interesting that you say failures are off-putting, and I see as a child I can see that happening, but as an adult, 
I feel failures are where we learn the most. And I like the failures. Yeah, I think you're a certain kind of person, and I mean, I admire that. But, but if, you know, I, I'm thinking more probably because you were coming from a pretty determined standpoint, I'd say, which is great. But I, if for the casual person who, who might just be dipping a toe in the water and, and then just to see if they like gardening, you know, that kind of that level of beginning, um, if they have a failure, that them it might put off, I reckon. I, I mean, I, I, I'm wrong. <laughs> but, you know, those are the kinds of people I, I really want to reach because I feel that there's a huge number of people now for historical reasons in Britain, particularly, you know, the early Industrial Revolution and everything, that we've, I've lost contact with the land. And it's not there for, and, and there's riches there that if they can only discover them, they'll, they'll, they'll love it. And, you know, the, I had a guy on my course, for example, who came along and he said, you know what got me into gone? He said, I just scattered a few carrot seeds in a pot of compost outside my back door. And they came up and, and then he pulled one and tasted it, that's it. And it, he said, he couldn't believe the flavour. He said, I, I just never tasted anything like that. All the carrots I've eaten in my life. So there's loads of people also who've, who've never tasted like real vegetables or real, you know, good tasting food. So they also, um, if we could just get them to have one little success like that, I think they, then they get hooked. Yeah, yeah. You just changed my opinion on the failures now or more <laughs> streamlined it in a way that it's it's about uh -huh. the person, not the overall theory yeah. yeah i mean everyone's different aren't they and, and i mean that's one of the things i like about gardening is this we do represent a huge range of people and and once we get into gardening i think we've become nicer people as well because we're picking up all those lovely bacteria out in the soil and plants and you know they're some of the precursors to making serotonin in the brain so you start to have a feel-good mood about you and i really noticed that in a group of gardeners so that's another reason to get into it, you know. And plus, the, all the great food you have, and you know, food uh, nourishing our bodies. Our the brain is part of our body. This doesn't get said often enough. So, you're nourishing your brain as well. And when your brain is more buzzy and, and capable of making connections, you know, life gets better. Actually, I know there's other factors always, <laughs> but you know, you, you you can handle things better. And and um, so that's another reason. So. Yeah, I mean, I, the Veg Grower podcast is all about encouraging people to grow their own food in wherever they can grow their own food. Good. And food is obviously one of the most important things that us as humans need. And I always believe that children particularly, if they can get into that fresh food at a young age, yeah. they will grow up wanting that flavorful yeah. carrot, that flavorful peas, and not take the, for want of a better word, crap that they sell in supermarkets yeah well i think what i've seen is they go through a phase don't they same with my kids they they get to being teenage and they kind of just reject, reject everything <laughs> um the, the seed has been sown and the, the taste buds are there and and they remember it and they'll come back to it at some point but yeah if they've never come across it then that, that's difficult now something else i've i've read in your book is you have a few projects throughout the book particularly the upcycling project which again we go through this cost of living crisis at the moment and school holidays coming up. For me, I felt these are great ways for families to get involved in their garden, do a project together that doesn't cost a lot of money. Was that part of your idea behind it? Was it just? Oh, very much so, yeah. I mean, it's, it's again, it's like gardening. That's what it is. It's a, um, you can do it as a family. And then there's other stories in there too. There's one about, I don't know if you know, it's, it's a Hungarian woman actually uh, living in Surrey who, who's, got two autistic children and she's found an amazing thing to do with them has been to again to create a market garden to get some involved and then they go and sell the vegetables but they all do it together and, and the husband as well so you know there's four of them um, 
doing something together and, and that's they say that's the best bonding time that, that they have in their lives basically yeah again i go back to the time i spent with my granddad when we were in the garden and how i created a great bond with my granddad who was very knowledgeable about gardening and growing yeah. your own food but yeah. i kind of when he passed away i didn't realize just how precious those memories were oh well it's nice you got them i mean it's an interesting thing point you raised there that you know, maybe your dad wasn't so into it. And, and they, we lost a generation, I reckon, you know, and that's why I found my teaching has been so well received because people really need this information. And normally it would have been passed down more um, through the family. But it, there was a whole generation pretty much, I reckon, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, who, who did very little. And, I, you know, I get it. It's like food became cheap for a while. <laughs> it's not anymore. But, you know, that's all the so, I'm of a belief that food is of the price it should be at the moment. Personally, I don't believe in cheap food because the, the quality. Well, I is- agree, and and also you can't. It's not like for like, is it? You know, people would say to me, "Well, I could go and get, get carrots and onions at the supermarket." And I say, "Yeah, but they're not really good carrots, are they?" And that kind of thing, as we just mentioned. You know, you mentioned earlier that you are a market gardener and you have quite a large garden, from what I've seen in your YouTube videos. But that doesn't mean these. Uh, systems and and the knowledge that you pass on cannot be applied to any smaller gardens and even people who don't have a garden can still use these these systems i was going to say for those who maybe have a smaller garden or no garden at all what advice would you share with them Uh, i would say um check out no dig because when when you apply it's about applying a decent amount of compost at the beginning not every year and, and sometimes I think people balk at that. I think, God, that's a lot of composting. <laughs> Actually, look at it as a long-term investment. Even borrow money if you had to. You know, but it shouldn't cost too much to to make one small bed. When I, for me, a small bed would be 1.2 by 2.4 meters, for example. Uh, for which you might need <laughs> you might need about 800 kilos of compost actually to really pack it in. Uh, but then you would be putting on after that just one sack of compost every year. So, and your crops would keep coming and you can grow two plantings a year. So what, what I'm getting at is that you have a small area intensively managed. If you've got only a small space, you want to make more of it. And that's why putting more compost down actually pays in the end because it means you're getting much more from a small area. And you keep it cropping the whole time. You don't have to follow the old-fashioned rules of rotation and all this kind of stuff that you'll probably read elsewhere in books and things. That's designed for big estates and even farms, actually, modern gardens. So just keep planting in a, like in my book i give these ideas of um you know succession and, and tables timing so you can sow vegetables pretty much any month of the year but mainly between february uh, about mid mid february and then going right the way through to um, august september even and so that way you keep cropping so you keep your ground full all the time and and just look into all those things those ways of succession planting and and maximizing the space you've got there there's quite a bit to learn if you've not grown vegetables before there's quite a bit to learn about the different demands of each vegetable um again the book has some very brief outlines um you know it's key knowledge it's not like you need encyclopedias of knowledge but there are certain key bits of knowledge you you need like um, if you sow spinach for example I'll just give you one example if you sow spinach in um from mid-april to the end of july it's almost certainly going to flower on you before it produces much leaf and I know this happens to a lot of people because they say to me, I tried growing spinach and it just flipped, went to flower. And that's because you sowed it or they sowed it just before the flowering time. The spinach flowers, its natural flowering time is May and June, into July. So you, you need to learn that so that you can avoid it. And actually, my two best times for sowing spinach are February, so that it can crop before the flowering time. 
and then early August, so that it can crop through the autumn, even survive the winter like it has. Actually, this cold winter we've just had, not all of my spinach has survived, but quite a bit has, and then it will crop in the spring. So there's little key things like that that, that <laughs> help you to be productive in a small area, and um, um, just go for it. You know, small area, uh, try it. Don't, if you've never done it before, that. Don't be put off by by you know that you might need to know a certain amount. You you've got to try things to learn them as well. So yeah, have a go. Absolutely. So your new book is out now. It's called No Digs Children's Gardening Book: Easy and Fun Family Gardening. It, whereabouts is it available? Oh, very widely. Um, Richard said, well, obviously on online Amazon, all of that kind of thing. But Waterstones bookshops, every is everywhere available. I'd say. And internationally as well. I'm getting lovely reviews actually from the USA at the moment. They're, they're using it quite a bit. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. As I said, I've read through this book about twice this week because I've really enjoyed it. I like the, the simplicity of teaching children anyway and uh, the, the simpleness of keeping it simple applies to everyone, I feel. Yeah, God, so I'm glad you said that as well. Yeah. We need to keep it simple. <laughs> keep it simple. Or the yeah. saying I say is keep it simple, stupid. Kiss, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Charles. If anybody wants to find out more about you, where do they head to find out more? Oh, I, well, my website. Go to my website. There's just tons of free information there. On my YouTube channel, I put up quite regular videos. You'll find loads of lovely information there from a beautiful garden. Uh, my Instagram, you can follow me there. So Twitter, you know, <laughs> everywhere, actually. Fantastic. I'll add links in the show notes for this episode. Once again, Charles, thank you so much for your time. This has been absolutely fantastic. Well, welcome to the greenhouse here at home in the veg garden. It's Sunday the 12th of February 2023. Just in this greenhouse today, sowing some seeds. And I'm actually doing a method that Charles Dowding recommends himself, which is multi-sowing seeds. Now what this is, I use these little plastic containers that make little plug pots, which I've filled up with compost. And while I do is I take several seeds and pop them in each plug that way when they grow I then take that entire plug and plant it straight out in the garden which for me goes along with my style of gardening I like taking plug plants and putting those straight in the garden as opposed to sowing directly in the garden now the great thing about this is that these will use less space you will still get beetroot or radishes etc etc but they will use less space and you will get more you won't get huge plants you won't get huge beetroots but you will get some decent sized either i've got spinach i'm sowing i've got beetroot basil and radish just sowing those today to see how they get on now this week here in at home in the vegetable garden what I have been doing is actually working in the garden for about an hour before I go to work. I leave for work about half eight most mornings due to the nature of my job and about half seven in the morning I come out with the dog, I let the chickens out and then I will start to tend a few of my crops and this has been a great way for gardening for me over the last few years but this week particularly I have sort of been focusing on some of the larger jobs so some of the things I've been doing I have been potting up some of our fruit bushes into larger 
pots. These are plants like thornless blackberries and the currants and all these plants were bought at the back end of last year when they were being sold off cheaply for like 40p a plant from certain garden centres or supermarkets etc etc and this for me was a great way to get some plants for very little money. There was a chance they weren't going to survive of course but when I took the original pots off I could see the roots have been growing. So it looks like we have managed to gain ourselves a few more fruit plants. These are of course going to be destined to go out the front of our garden in our driveway garden because well You'll find out more about this next week actually. The front garden is shady and some of these fruit bushes are going to do great in the shade. Added to that I have also been watering quite a bit here inside this greenhouse. It seems a bit weird to be watering at this time of year but this greenhouse doesn't get any rain from outside. It does get quite warm in here during the day so a bit of watering does go a long way. It is getting very very full in here though I've got to say. I think once we repair the greenhouses down on the allotment a lot of these plants and even the seed potatoes are going to go down to the greenhouse on the allotment just so I get a bit more space. I've also been potting some of the strawberry plants. I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago but I bought some more strawberry plants at CD Sunday last week and I've pot those into some hanging baskets to grow either in here or they will probably go outside. Some of them are looking a little bit, I'm not sure if they're going to survive. Just looking at one of the Cambridges it doesn't look great. Both of the Cambridges for that matter don't look great but we'll keep a close eye and see how they get on. The others do seem to be doing pretty well though and uh, hopefully they're going to go on and produce some delicious strawberries because ultimately that is what we want. Now added to that I've done a bit of weeding outside as well in the mornings. What I find by starting early in the morning, obviously I can't do anything like mowing the lawn or any noisy jobs, but just don't do those quiet jobs that just, it's just such a great way to start the day I've got to say. And then it's done and then I go to work and then I can come back. And once we get some lighter evenings I can go to the allotment on the way home and tackle some of these tasks as well. Well, that is this week's update from the Veg Garden. Well, that is it for this week's episode of the Veg Grower podcast. I hope you've enjoyed hearing about my latest from the allotment and my vegetable garden and also my interview with Charles Dowding. I've got to say, what a great chat we had. I did feel like I could have chatted to Charles for a very long time. Now, I have to say that his book, I really thoroughly enjoyed reading this is his new kids book and there are links in the show notes if you are interested in buying it i actually asked my niece about it and got her to read it and unfortunately she didn't want to come on the podcast but she absolutely loved it as well and if you are looking for a, a book to get your your son your daughter your niece your nephew your grandchildren any kids that you may know i highly recommend charles book it's a great way to get kids interested in gardening and growing their own food now as we wrap up i want to share with you my recipe of the week 
On Saturday, you heard that I harvested the last of the Brussels sprouts, and I wanted just a, a very simple recipe using these Brussels sprouts. So what I've done is I've taken those leftover Brussels sprouts or taken them off the tree, given them a bit of a wash and a bit of a peel, and then I've just placed them in a roasting pan with a bit of olive oil and sprinkled over a bit of salt and roasted that in the oven Gas mark four for about 30 minutes and they were absolutely delicious. So yeah, please do go and try that out. Now, finally, I just want to remind you about our supporters club. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you want to support, then head on over to the vegcrowdpodcast.co.uk and sign up to become a member. As a member, you help me continue to keep the podcast going, as well as in return for that, I send to you six packets of seeds each and every month that you are a member and you also get extra behind the scenes podcasts that let you know a bit more what's going on here at the veg ground podcast and i truly appreciate everybody that becomes a supporting member now if you also want to help this podcast then please do leave us a review on your podcast service that goes a really long way to building up an audience i really do appreciate if you can give us a good review don't forget to follow me on social media as well you can find me under the veg Grail podcast on almost every outlet out there now i do look forward to hearing from each and every one of you as well so feel free to send me an email richard at veggrowerpodcast.co.uk or if you would like to leave a voicemail head on over to the vegggrowerpodcast.co.uk hit the sender voicemail service and uh, send me a voicemail that way it's really easy it doesn't cost you anything and uh, it's a great way of getting in touch well thanks so much for listening this week we will be back again next week so until then please take care